Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Practical Magic. Two witch sisters raised by their eccentric aunts in a small town face close-minded prejudice and a curse which threatens to prevent them from ever finding lasting love. Damn. How did you not see this at some point? Was this movie ever marketed to a 14-year-old me? No. Like... But- but I know your mother. She would have been watching this at some point. She would have, but I wouldn't. Yeah, but you live in the same house. You would have caught things. I would have been 11 at this point. She would have just gone and seen the movie when I was like somewhere else for the weekend. I Fair. This is not a movie I ever would have watched. Okay, that's fair. It just, it, it, it would never have been on my radar. I had heard about it. I had heard vague things and was just like, eh, this movie just doesn't sound like it's for me. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's a romantic comedy with witches. Except that's not what this movie is. <laughs> it's not? It's no. Not, I would not call this a romantic comedy. No. Not even a little bit. I, I would call it a, sis, a paranormal sister story. A little bit. It's... Okay. This is a movie that doesn't get made any other time but like 1998 to 2003. Yes. <laughs> right, though? I mean, maybe you get like... Uh, a CW television show out of this down the road, which, oh shit, you know they're going to think about that, right? I mean, that that show is called Charmed. I mean, yes, but <laughs> they could have gone with the actual practical magic angle. Yes, that I... show is called Charmed. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always all fit together, mm-hmm. but I'm still left utterly charmed and delighted. Mm-hmm. It's a fun ride. It's a weird movie. <laughs> it It is that. It is a weird movie. And thankfully, while there's not a lot of trivia about this movie, I know why it's such a weird movie, mm-hmm. which helps me appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if you are expecting a typical rom-com fare from this movie, which is what it's typically marketed as, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> ignore that and watch it, (laughs) you might hate it. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say everyone will like this movie, but the way it is marketed to you is not at all what this movie actually is. No, not at all. I think any anything that's playing with the it's a rom-com is just full of shit. It's the only way they know. It's the only way Hollywood knew how to market movies about women for, I mean, up until the last like Five years, maybe. And even then, they're still not doing great with it. No. Uh, Well, that marketing did a number on the budget and gross for this movie. The budget was $75 million. What? It's for that damn house. I'm sure the house and then Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Stockard Channing. I mean... You've got two $15 million actresses just on the top bill alone. Mm-hmm. And then you're probably paying like another five for Stalker Channing, Diane Weist, and Aiden Quinn. Eh. Aiden Quinn was a hot commodity in 1998. I don't, I don't feel that he was. He was a big deal. Mm. I don't know specifically what ballooned this movie. Well, we, we have to talk about like how this story came together ultimately, but it, it's... It's bizarre that it costs that much to make this movie. Oh, I agree. It grossed $47 million. Oh, okay. If this movie was made for 
what it should have been made for, what it feels like it should have been made for, which is like 20 million. Okay, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds reasonable. Like you made a $20 million movie, you got about double the budget back. Okay, I can I can buy that, right? For a movie like this that they didn't really know how to market. Mm -hmm. But woof, you poured a lot of money into a movie that I, I, I think the studio just got this and went, we don't know what this is. Yep. Which is funny because I feel like I don't know what it is, but I'm delighted by that fact. Well, that kind of adds to the, the fun. I do have to add a little note that while this came before the release of Eyes Wide Shut, she had just finished filming Eyes Wide Shut when she was making this movie. She being Nicole Kidman. So if you want to think about that timeline and dealing with an overbearing and potentially abusive man... This is definitely a gear shift. Not only that, but the story is a little prescient. Uh, um, we, we did cover Eyes Wide Shut for our Kubrick series a couple years ago. Um, uh, not big fans, no. No, de- not only dealing with Kubrick, but then also dealing with the overbearingness of Tommy Boy and his cult. Oh, Tommy Boy. <laughs> I was just like, ooh, this story hits on some interesting notes for her mm-hmm. all right well let's talk about our writing we have four credited writers here okay one of them is the novelist alice hoffman oh okay um now alice hoffman has had a few smaller things made into movies she actually wrote a film called independence day that was released in 1983 little small town drama seems to be her like big thing small town locations yeah After this, there was a pilot for a TV series based off of Practical Magic called Sudbury. Oh, yeah. And then she wrote two other novels that were turned into movies, The River King and Aquamarine. Hmm. Oh, I I know about Aquamarine. Then we have our three screenplay writers. First, we have Robin Swicord. Before this, she wrote Shag, 1994's Little Women, and Matilda. After this, she wrote Memoirs of a Geisha, The Jane Austen Book Club, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Wakefield and The Promise. So she's really good with an adaptation. And with stories about ladies. Ladies and girls, yes. Families. Yeah. The 94, I have to give all praise to The New Little Woman by Greta Gerwig because it's fabulous. But the 94 one is also fabulous. <laughs> it's also your little woman, right? <laughs> it's, it's the one I grew up with. That's the one that really truly made me fall in love with Christian Bale. And also really showcased that Winona Ryder wasn't just a weird girl. Wow. It's going to be the same thing for Saoirse and Timothy for a lot of like our kids' generation. Probably. Weird. I mean, I will say Greta is is definitely more feminist. And it's really, I mean, like my favorite thing about it is that it fixed Amy Mm. um, because Amy is just a brat and it really gave her agency over like what happens to her, and I love it. And also, it's Florence Pugh, who I'm ador- I adore. Everyone in that movie is fantastic. There, there's no weak link in that movie. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, like, okay, that's 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 what she does. Cool. So, so that's number one. Oh, okay. Then we have Akiva Goldsman. Before this, he wrote The Client, Batman Forever, A Time to Kill, Batman and Robin, and 1998's Lost in Space. After this, he wrote A Beautiful Mind, I Robot, Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code, I Am Legend. Angels and Demons. He created Fringe, wrote Winter's Tale, the Divergent series, Insurgent, The Fifth Wave, Rings, Transformers, The Last Night, The Dark Tower, 
and he's working on a ton of the new Star Trek series that are coming out. Wow. So now you've got the blockbuster element. Blockbuster action darkness, dude. Well, you've got a big story with a lot of fantasy, so Mm -hmm. bring this guy in to make a bigger set piece. And maybe he was brought in at a different phase of the project. (laughs) Sure. Because from what we know about our director, this movie went through changes. Okay. Finally, we have Adam Brooks. Before this, he wrote French Kiss and Beloved. (gasps) What? (laughs) After this, he wrote Wimbledon, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, Definitely Maybe, and Imposters for Television. He wrote French Kiss? That was his first ever screenplay. That is my favorite romantic comedy ever. We'll be appearing in a future 90s grab bag. 100%. Because this guy hasn't seen it. I don't know how we've known each other this long without me having forced it on you. I know, right? That's, that's what's truly surprising. Okay. So there's a lot with those three writers. Okay. A lot of different styles merging. Yeah, but that's not bad. That's some cool flavors. Yeah, I don't... I don't hate it. I I think the writing is probably the most outstanding thing here because mm-hmm. the messiness to me comes in the directing and and not I even agree. the directing but the editing choices. Yeah, I I like and instantly understand the story in that it makes sense and that this is a story about witches, so there's a lot of uh, suspension of disbelief going on here. That's totally fine and a lot of lore. Yeah, and some lore, but they get through that very quickly without it dragging on too long or not not staying in it too much. Like, we get the point. Long family of witches, which got spurned, so she cursed the family. Uh, our, our present day witches are like, I am going to protect myself from this, but it doesn't work out that way. Uh, you know, you grow up, you have different feelings, you know, and it's it's just it's very it is very succinct so yeah it's a good story it doesn't wallow too much you know we don't i mean it's what what was this movie an hour 40 maybe yeah it's it's right on target for a time watch for a movie like this yeah perfect perfect amount of time they they really economized it it's great uh the the script is solid the title alone man just, just you saying that and going practical magic. Oh, yeah. We're going to set up this hugely fantastical world, and now we're going to put them in a very real situation. Sure. Like, the movie does what it says on the box. And I like the reversal of, you know, you have a lot of these movies where it's take ordinary people, put them in an extraordinary situation. It's take extraordinary people, put them in a slightly fantastical, but ultimately very real situation. Sure. Which um, is. Guy dead, now everybody has to figure out why Guy is dead. Yeah, and also, like, woman, you know, had sworn off love, she finds love, love dies, woman sad again. Like, I know. All, like, and yes, there are supernatural forces at play, but that's, that's also just a life thing that happens. Well, and the supernatural part of it is often the part that's played for comedy. Yes. And it, it's it's comedy, but also like it's very matter of fact. And then like magic in their life is just kind of incidental. Like I love the fact that Sandra Bullock character, like she stirs her coffee and her tea with magic. And it happens a couple of times because that has always just been a part of her life. But that's just so cute. I love and she's it. off guard. <laughs> yeah. Like when she's like just being her. It's so great. It's 
the the issues I have with this movie have nothing to do with the script. Sure. Other than like, there's a little more, I wish we could play in this world more type thing, but that's not really the writer's fault. And again, they tried to make a TV series. So how can I be that mad about it? Well, I mean, a TV series would have been great for this world, for these, for this family of characters. Oh, for sure. Especially with the whole like, she came out. She told everybody. And then, and it's that's played for a little bit as though she were coming out as gay. But no, she came out as being a witch because she's been lying about it this whole time, which that's kind of funny. Yeah. It's a 1998 joke, but it's still worth a chuckle. It's okay. All right. Well, let's get on to our director. Mm-hmm. I think this is a name you're going to recognize. It's Griffin Dunn. Okay. This is the comedic actor. Okay. Who has been in a ton of stuff, but he actually has directed a handful of things. Mm-hmm. So before this, he directed Four Tales of Two Cities and Addicted to Love. After this, he directed Lisa Picard's famous Fierce People, The Accidental Husband. He directed a few episodes of The Good Wife, and he did the documentary Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold. Okay, I just I just searched him on IMDb because I was like, I feel like I know that name. I I've, of course, seen this guy as an actor a billion times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most famous roles for him are After Hours, which is a Scorsese movie, but probably his best one is An American Werewolf in London, mm. the John Landis film. He's a, that guy who shows up in supporting roles a lot. Yes. And he's he is a comedic actor who a lot of serious directors put in like kind of leading roles when they need a sort of schlubby guy. Mm-hmm. That's what is. That's what he did in the eighties for sure. This is one of his directing movies. That's crazy. It's a little wild. I was like, wait, him? <laughs> that that is really surprising. It sucks because like I like him as a person, as an actor, but his directing is not very. Okay, I don't hate his directing because I don't think the directing is the issue. I okay. think the edit is the issue. Um. I think it's part because here's where it stands out where it's not good is all the stuff with Nicole Kidman when she's not there, when she's with the the dude. It, that's where I feel like I'm in a different movie and not in a good way. Well, per writer Akiva Goldsman, the director's cut was much darker than this original film. Okay. The studio demanded extensive editing. Ah, okay. And created a much different version than what Griffin Dunn put in. Okay. Unfortunately, Goldsman lost his copy of the director's cut. Otherwise, there's a chance we might have seen this at some point. Okay. Well, that's Um, If somebody ever finds it, that would be such a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. In terms of marketing and making a movie that is tight... I don't disagree with the editing choices, but the way then that they had to hack it apart to take out darker elements that they clearly did not want to get into, mm-hmm. which I'm sure had to do with far more nuance about how Jillian is dealt with by Jimmy. Yes. And probably some more time of Sally grieving. Sure. And probably a lot more darkness of the possessions and the creepy shit happening. Yeah, which I. I I can understand all that. I can understand it from a marketing perspective. I think my issue is, okay, well, then why didn't you step in in the middle and figure that out? Mm -hmm. You weren't paying attention at the beginning with Griffin's vision for this, Mm -hmm. which clearly he had a much 
let's really get into the real darkness of this. Let's have some comedy and play some laughs. Mm-hmm. But let's get into the real dark side of this story. Sure. And then they said, well, we can't put that in a movie theater. Well, then we're making The Craft. Yeah. Um, but with older women, and they didn't want to do that. Honestly, wish a woman was directing this movie, because I feel like even then we would have gotten a lot of the nuance and depth of character that we might be missing from Griffin's directing. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's really hard for us to know how much was his creative vision and how much was the studio going, uh, we can't release this. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's bad. I do think it's disjointed. I think the edit doesn't help that. But I also, I mean, I would tend to agree that there are some moments where he's playing the bit or the visual moment more than he's playing the emotions. Mm, maybe. maybe. Especially that's... as we get like, later in the film sure like we get to that witch scene and it's all about the action piece and Mm -hmm. the possession and not quite enough about these two women Mm -hmm. until the very end it's really hard to tell with this movie yeah because they they really did just hack it to pieces they they did yeah it would really be interesting to see that director's cut you know where we talked about that on another film that we just you know i don't really care to see direct director's cuts but that that would be interesting to to see those bits that are gone. Mm-hmm. Griffin Dunn did run into one unexpected issue while making the film. Mm. The lead actresses needed different amounts of takes to finish a scene. Okay. Sandra Bullock, of course, only needed about two to three takes. Nicole Kidman had just gotten done dealing with the awfulness of Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. So was used to 70 to 80 takes per scene. Yeah, that's too many. I assume she was second guessing herself like "Mm, maybe we need to do it this way or maybe I need to try it this way and Griffin like no we're good (laughs) you did it the way I wanted and needed you're done also Francis and Jet frequently wear clothing more popular in the early 20th century implying that they might be much older than they appear which is not an uncommon take from the townsfolk well duh (laughs) that's that's just a duh like they're supposed to be like a couple hundred years old but I do like how they sort of mute it and downplay it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they've dressed them in full Victorian regalia. There's a couple scenes where they're very much wearing that, but also their hairstyle. Yeah. They also, the way that they do it, it's like they could have picked it up from a weird thrift store in this small little town. Exactly. <laughs> because they're just weird people. Mm-hmm. But it's, no, these are these are their real clothes from however many moons ago. <laughs> Ah, adorable. All right, let's move on to our cast, who are outstanding in this movie. They are. And we will start with getting her top billing, Sandy B. Sandy B! As Sally Owens. We just got done talking about her in Speed. I love her. And now we get to talk about her again. I know, I didn't didn't realize that, that we were going to have two Sandy B in in the series until we got to it. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's so delightfully awkward. She does awkward really well. Of course. I just, she's just so sweet. I also love how much she just does not give a fuck. <laughs> she's, she's burnt out. Yeah, well, she, she's heartbroken, of course. Mm-hmm. And then she's able to move past the heartbreak. But then when all this crazy shit goes down, I love the fact that she's like, I can't lie to him. I can't lie to him. Fuck it. I don't care anymore. 
Mm-hmm. We we stole it, and it's a crime. I know this, but 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 he basically kidnapped her, and it. He kidnapped you? Well, no, no, no. He 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 didn't he didn't really kidnap her. He just he sort of like a, just a, a little nap. No, she, she was there was a car, and she, she would and you know what thing she what what happened was that she she just <laughs> you should know she has the worst taste in men. All she, right. <laughs> well, you do. So so anyway, I I picked her up and I drove her right back here, and and we would be so happy to give him back his car because it is a crime and. As you say, you 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 just don't know where he is to. Just got a little. Oh, mm. give him back that car. So basically, nobody knows where he is. I'm sorry, what? So you don't have any idea where he is? Mm. Like other actresses would have like played that forced that forced nature of her not being able to lie to him because of course it's part of the whole charm and spell she cast. Mm-hmm. But she does it in this way where she's like. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to talk to him. And then she's like, oh, fuck it. I don't care anymore. I'm so done with this. Yeah. And only Sandra Bullock does that. She's so fun. Uh, so funny and cute and adorable. Mm-hmm. She, can, she can have chemistry with a plank of wood. Let's be honest. Yeah, she is that good. She is that good. Then we get her counterpart, Nicole Kidman playing Jillian Owens. Mm -hmm. She, of course, is a very gigantic movie star as well. We discussed her whole credits with Eyes Wide Shut. She's also fantastic and very against Nicole Kidman type. Well, I wouldn't say that, but she's, this is just a very different movie than what we've seen her in. I mean, maybe now it's been different, but I don't, when I think Nicole Kidman, I don't think freewheeling hippie dippy. Correct. I, I think Nicole Kidman is the type of person who you put in sort of a more straight-laced role and then have her find her freewheeling nature. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of her automatically as the just like, I'm so in the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> From moment one. She is super fun. And she's having fun, which is also kind of a first for her. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know. You can, you can see her having fun in this movie. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm getting to do all this crazy, wacky shit and be a witch, and I love it. I'm just going to go for it. You disagree? I don't know. I I just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you don't like her, you don't like her. That's fine, too. I, I don't. I don't know. I think I don't like her character. Well, okay. Part of it is that Jillian is the character with the most amount of, like, hack and slash in the movie, and it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. As soon as you know, okay, they hacked this movie to pieces, you instantly recognize that there's giant chunks of through line missing for this character. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. I think where I'm really charmed by her is obviously once they get to the house and her whole first act is done, mm-hmm. which is where I'm just like, I don't know, who is this person? Yeah. But once we get her in there and they're sisters and they're just doing their sister thing, mm-hmm. I really like the dynamic she brings at that point. Yes. Sandra Bullock is doing her Sandra Bullock thing. And Nicole Kidman, because she's a really good actor too, is able to go, okay, what's going to counter this charming, awkward cuteness? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to be wild. <laughs> and it works. You know, she's able to just bring that right amount of counter pressure. And then be really sweet and tender to the kids, too. Mm. 
which she is great with the two kids. She is. Well, I, I just like that aside from her needing Sally because she's kind of created a mess. Yes. She also loosens Sally up when it's just like, you are so afraid of being a witch that you just won't let yourself enjoy anything in your life, really. Yeah. Like, and like, she's not there to be like, this is stupid and you shouldn't do that. But it's just like, just be a person. Like, just be a witch. It's fine. No one cares. No, I think she's good. I, I, her just entire first act is frustrating as hell. Mm-hmm. All right. Then we move on to the aunts. We start with Stockard Channing as Aunt Frances. Mm-hmm. Before this, because I don't think we've talked about either of these women before. No. She was in The Fortune, The Cheap Detective, Grease, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, Heartburn, Six Degrees of Separation, Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Up Close and Personal, and The First Wives Club. After this, she did The West Wing, The Business of Strangers, Life or Something Like It, Bright Young Things, La Divorce, Must Love Dogs, and The Good Wife. What do we think of Stalker Channing in this movie? She's a goddess and she can do no wrong. She's the sassy one. Amazing. I love it. They're both great. Mm-hmm. But she's the one bringing the, yes, I'm a witch and I will fuck you up energy. Well, that's the energy she brings to everything. That is Stalker Channing. That's, yeah. <laughs> In a nutshell. Mm-hmm. But we also get the amazing, wonderful talent of Diane Weist as Aunt Jet. Before this, she did mostly theater, including she played Desdemona opposite James Earl Jones in Othello. Oh, neat. And then she was in I'm Dancing as Fast as I Can, the Independence Day movie from 1983 we talked about. Mm -hmm. Footloose, The Purple Rose of Cairo, Hannah and Her Sisters, Radio Days, The Lost Boys, Bright Lights, Big City, Parenthood, Edward Scissorhands, Little Man Tate, Cops and Robertsons, Bullets Over Broadway, The Birdcage, The Associate, and The Horse Whisperer. After this... She was in I Am Sam, Robots, A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, Dan in Real Life, Synecdoche, New York, Passengers, In Treatment, Rabbit Hole, The Big Year, Darling Companion, Life in Pieces, I Care a Lot, and Let Them All Talk. Mm. Yeah. She is, of course, the sweet aunt, but she has a little witchy side in her, too. I mean, she's no fool, but she's like, she's the more like calm, sensitive, sweet talking. This is just the magic of getting two outstanding actresses. Mm hmm. To be outstanding character actresses. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and again, we have a problem doing this for characters. We don't cast actresses to like play these roles all too often. They have to be much older for in order for Hollywood to do it a lot of times. Well, you're you're either a child, fuckable, or your grandma. Yes. That's it. Now, over the last mm, 15 to 20 ish years that has been changing and you know we're not casting a 25 year old to play a 50 year old's quote-unquote age-appropriate wife no 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 that dude's 40 the actress playing his wife is also 40 like that's becoming like a more normal thing because we're like this is absurd right so i mean like that is changing but i think in this this film especially since the ants are supposed to be at least 100 years old it's like, they are cast age appropriately for the role themselves. Actually, I mean, they could have cast women who were like 35, and I would have been fine with that too, because they're witches. Yeah, absolutely. You can cast anybody. I just love the fact that these are two incredible powerhouse actresses mm-hmm. in their own rights. Sure. And they're just getting to be silly. Yeah. 
That's amazing. <laughs> well, the HBCU, and they're not the butt of jokes. No. A, like, nobody punches down on them for being old. It's just alluded to the fact that, like, you are much older than you say. Like, that's it. Because that's the joke. And they get their own little revenge on Sally and Jillian. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, uh, we're just going to leave for a little while. Let you deal with this mess. Yeah, clean up your own mess. <laughs> Which, you know what? Fair. All right. Then we have Goran Viznik as Jimmy Angelov. Mm-hmm. He is a Croatian-American actor. He started in Croatia. Uh, before this, he did lots of international stuff and then made a breakthrough with Welcome to Sarajevo, The Peacemaker, and Rounders. After this, he had a decent run on ER. Mm-hmm. Then in Committed, The Deep End, Ice Age, Electra, Beginners, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in the U.S. Coming soon, he will be in the new Hellraiser. What do we think of Goran Viznik in this movie? I mean, he's appropriately creepy. He's so creepy. I mean, we were in ER house. That was a big deal. So, like, I definitely knew him from that. And so I was like, oh, he's, he's, in, a, he's in a big film. Okay. Um, he's attractive. That's important. He's incredibly attractive. And uh, charming and also terrifying. Yep. Horrible man. Horrible man. Like, I, part of me goes like, well, yeah, I want to see the director's cut. I'm interested in this darker vision. And part of me is just like, ooh, it's already pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have to go a whole lot farther to imply how icky he is. He does a really good job. Uh, originally, his character was named Jimmy Hawkins, and he was a Texas redneck. Okay. But Dunn saw Viznik in Welcome to Sarajevo. And in Madonna's Power of Goodbye music video, and he really wanted to work with him, so they changed it to Eastern European. That's cool. Which I love the idea of him being this Eastern European who loves cowboy culture. Mm-hmm. And then he's like a fucking Rasputin. Like, you can't kill him. It's very good. Uh, finally, we have Aiden Quinn playing Gary Hallett. At the time, a romantic lead. Don't at me. I don't exactly know why. I yeah. I mean, he's he's good and he's cute. I I I think what what is kind of funny is he's kind of like the upgraded version of Mark Furstein, who plays <laughs> Sally's first husband. Uh. <laughs> like I mean, I'm that's not to shit on Mark, but like the two of them, there's a similar vibe there. Well, before this, he was in Reckless, Desperately Seeking Susan, The Mission, Stakeout, Crusoe. The Handmaid's Tale from 1990, Avalon, At Play in the Fields of the Lord, Benny and June, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Legends of the Fall, and Michael Collins. After this, he was in In Dreams, Music of the Heart, Songcatcher, Stolen Summer, The Exonerated, Wild Child, Jonah Hex, Unknown, Allegiance, and Elementary on television. Mm. Um, you know, he's there to be decently pretty and have heterochromia. Like... Mm-hmm. That's what he's there for. Yeah. I don't care that much about him. What he does do a good job of is is he's not just a a stick in the mud. Yeah. Like he is a dude who definitely makes good comic faces and buys into the comic premise of what's mm-hmm. going on cuz he could very easily just mumble his way through this whole movie. But as he's mumbling, he's also like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Mm. And so he, he does a decent job. All right. And that's our cast. I mean, cool. it's the women. It's all the women. That's the best part of this That's movie. what it's about. And as we move to our pawns. Random people of note. We talk about another woman who at this time, just a child star, 
Evan Rachel Wood playing Kylie. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not in it that much, and she's she doesn't have like this giant role, but she's fantastically adorable when she's in it. She's very cute. She looks so much like Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. which is great. I I love how they play that off with yeah. with Jillian and how it's like she is Sally's kid, but boy, she's Jillian. <laughs> well, I I really like that the girls are twins, or it's implied that they're twins, and then Sally's kids are definitely not twins but they look exactly like the twins. So the genes are very strong. Yep. Um, which is also heavily implied because of the, the witch lineage, which is cool. I know that's always been a th- like, they keep talking about doing a sequel because everyone, this is just, this is one of those films has been a cult classic since it came out. And Evan Rachel Wood was in this. Camilla Bello plays Sally as a little girl. It'd just be cool to have them come back too, or like do it as a flashback, or you know, Sally as a teenager. It'd be fun. See, you have them starring, and you have Sandra and Nicole as playing. the old being in the aunt role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. do it. It would be fun. It would be great. Fuck it, you could get Stalker Channing and Diane Weiss too. Yeah, they show up. They're still around. They can't be dead. They can't be dead. They'll just be around. They're both here. It's they just fine. Live, they live in the attic now. Then we have Mark Firestein playing Michael. He is a TV guy. He was the lead in Royal Pains, and he was Watson Brewer on the way too quickly canceled Babysitters Club. Mm-hmm. I'm mad about it still. That show is so cute. It's so sweet. Then we have Margot Martindale playing Linda Bennett, an icon. Margot Martindale. Love that woman. Mm-hmm. Chloe Webb playing Carla, the other woman working in the store. She was Nancy Spungen opposite Gary Oldman in Sid and Nancy. Mm-hmm. And she had a guest run on Shameless. She did. We have Mary Gross playing Debbie. She was part of the SNL cast from 1981 to 1985 and the voice of Katie's mom on Animaniacs. We've also like we, she's actually been in a lot of things that we've seen. So. Yeah. She's showing up. She's always a bit player, but she's one of those funny people. And then Rich Sickler playing Dwight, the guy who has the candle issue. Mm-hmm. He was a second, second assistant director on this movie and was a director's guild trainee on Heat. Hmm. So he's like a directing guy who gets also a silly bit in the botanical shop. All right. Trivia. Trivia. Per Sandra Bullock, Jillian, Sally, and the aunts getting drunk on tequila and slinging insults at each other. Was not fake. They were very, very drunk. <laughs> really, that brings me joy. Nicole Kidman had incredibly horrible tequila and everybody was drinking it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love the fact that Nicole was the one that brought the gross tequila. That makes me happy. It's just silly. Sally's botanical shop is called Verbena after the flowering plant that is associated with divine and supernatural forces. Mm-hmm. During the scene where the sisters try to resurrect Jimmy, Nicole Kidman's Australian accent can be heard when she says, Sally, watch his balls. <laughs> Gordon Visnick also breaks and slightly smirks when this happens. I, I did see that. <laughs> Again, they were just having a lot of fun making this movie. I do like that. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. The entire house was a complete architectural shell with fake tree blossoms made out of silk. Mm. It was built on rented land, and it was completely torn down after filming. That's sad, because it's a really pretty house. But you mentioned that house. I was like, oh, yeah, that 
that did cost a lot of money to build all of that shit. It's kind of like the big fish house. Like it was built and it's a shell. And then I, yeah, that house though, they later like built it in to like make it a house afterwards. And then they redid it on hometown. Our love of HGTV and our love of movies coming together. Mm -hmm. The cast stated that the supernatural elements of the film affected them and cast and crew claimed that they heard unknown noises while filming the final coven scene. Mm, When the black dog follows Michael, this was not an accident. Several cultural traditions, including the British Isles, believe a black dog is a sign of impending death. Mm -hmm. And this is further played out by the use of the Nick Drake song, who also referenced the black eyed dog as a sign of his potential coming death. Interesting. Also, fucking Nick Drake in a movie before the Volkswagen commercial. Oh, yeah. This is before the Pink Moon commercial, because I remember that, like, in 99. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, holy shit, you were ahead on Nick Drake. Good for fucking you. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I fucking love Nick Drake so much. Yes, yes, he does. While the film was set on a New England island, they actually filmed in the San Juan Strait in Washington State on the West Coast. Hmm. It was for weather most prominently and then also Mm -hmm. financial considerations. They filmed in Coopville, Washington on Whidbey Island. It has a long dock with a red building jutting into the bay. So people who knew that place or were from around there instantly picked it out. And in the final scene where the Owens witches fly to the ground on Halloween, the entire town was invited to come in costume and play townsfolk with the cast of the film. That's cool. Adorable. Like it. After test screenings got bad reactions, the film scrapped the original score from Michael Nyman and replaced it with one from Alan Silvestri. Oh. However, the change was made after soundtracks were already pressed. So the first batch of CDs and of the score to hit shelves had two suites of themes from Nyman's score, not Sylvester. Oh. They weren't able to replace them until a few weeks later, but they had it printed with the same ISBN number. Mm, okay. Which is wild. That is. And finally, and this is a cute little detail nod. I like it a lot. The name of the town is never explicitly stated in the film. But as Francis and Jet leave the post office, the name Maria's Island Post Office can be seen on the wall behind them, which is, of course, a nod to Maria, the original witch of the story. Ah, okay. Ah. I like it. I I like that they were like, we don't need to, like, make this a big deal. But if anybody catches it, it's a nice little nod. Which somebody someday will. Well, somebody's going to remake this movie and they're going to make it all about that. I'm okay with that. Anyway. Ratings. Ratings. For every film, there needs to be a specific rating system. Mm-hmm. For this one, it's got to be those those blood red cherry blossoms, right? I think they were roses, David. It's like broomsticks. <laughs> they do fly around on them at the end. Do. Or, or botanical herbs. We go little jars. Botanical herbs. Little herb jars. All right, broomsticks it is. Broomsticks. This is your movie. Ooh, like a three and a half. I was gonna go three and a half too. Jesus, we've stopped like we've we've started to meld too much in our in our ratings. No, it's just it's very fun to watch. It's enjoyable. It's not this high art piece or you know anything incredibly. I mean, it's it's nothing prestigious at all. But it's fun and I like it. So I'm giving it a three and a half. Mm-hmm. It's it's super watchable for sure. Yeah, and enjoyable. 
despite some of the storytelling and and really editing problems that it has because we're you can definitely feel like we're missing chunks of the story mm-hmm. and yet by the end of it you don't really care you're like well we dropped a few plot lines but i've had too much fun while we were doing it and i've been utterly charmed by everybody in this film so mm-hmm. i don't really care it's so good <laughs> if you've got the access to watch it just do it'll make you happy it's it's yeah it's just fun mm-hmm. all right so next time next time we're finishing our series oh with a film i'm sure you have seen okay it's but I have not. Okay. With four of probably the biggest stars of the late 90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. we are watching Cruel Intentions. <laughs> wow. Okay. You ready to be thrown into the not too distant past, Diana? I don't know. No. no. <laughs> not. Not. When we do a 90s series, there's like an approaching, encroaching level of, oh, crap, we're going to hit something real weird here in a minute for us. Oh, yeah. Until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.